0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Alex K. Alex is a very intense Souls fan who just gobbles up this series. In the episode, he even tells us that he finished all of them within six months. Um, he's a really, really cool guy. I think you guys are going to really enjoy the episode. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening and supporting the show. It's a big help. Uh, if you have a few minutes, an iTunes review can go a long way to helping out growing the show Thanks and enjoy this episode. Why don't we just get started? Why don't you tell me about the first time that you played a From Software or Souls game?
1: Um, the very first time that I played Dark Souls. Um, ha- having listened to a bunch of episodes of your podcast, I know that a lot of people sort of bounce off the. Um, Bounce off the skeleton graveyard, uh, right down, right down the hill from from Firelink. Uh, I bounced off it much earlier. I think I got it for um, five dollars on uh, Xbox 360 sale on the holidays, probably 2013, 2014, sometime in there. And uh, I bounced off the Asylum Demon, uh, not. Um, Like, literally running up to it, and then there's that little door off to the side when you first encounter him that you're supposed to go in and light that bonfire. I -hmm. didn't do that. I I tried to fight it um, extensively, and because the only thing that I knew about Dark Souls was that Dark Souls was hard, um, my assumption was that you are supposed to fight the Asylum Demon there. And uh, if I didn't beat him there, uh, it's because I was not good and not because there was something else I was supposed to try. Um, so all of the so, stuff that you
0: had heard about Dark Souls was only about its difficulty and how like it was going to be the hardest game ever 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 made and all that stuff.
1: Precisely, yeah. So I, I think I threw myself at that for for something like twenty minutes, and then I was like, you know what, this is the hardest game that I've ever played in my life. If it, this is what I am encountering is literally like the first enemy, so uh, maybe this just isn't for me, and I moved on to something else. Um, so it kind of lay fallow on my Xbox's uh, hard drive for a number of years, and um, weirdly enough, last year, I was playing Fallout 4, and uh, I had invested quite a bit of time into Fallout 4, and I got to a point where I started to feel very frustrated with it, um, I think because from a story standpoint, I had gotten to a place where I felt like the game was giving you options, but not really any way to affect the narrative. Um, have you played Fallout Four?
0: I have not. I haven't. I, I tried playing Fallout Three and and very much didn't like three D Fallout. Like I'm one of those guys. Like and I know that's a bad place to be, but I can't help it. So yeah. I didn't. I didn't bother. I, with, uh, honestly, Fallout 4.
1: yeah. The uh, uh, no spoilers for the for the folks who haven't played it. But I I got to a point where I felt like my choice was. Uh, you can either murder these people or murder these people or murder these people, and those are your choices. And I felt like that doesn't feel like much of a choice at all. It's it's basically, who am I going to sentence to die? And it wasn't handled in a way where I felt like, you know, these are the tough choices that you have to make in this sort of post-apocalyptic society. It really felt like you just sort of, I had been railroaded into into a position I didn't want to be in, and I found that so frustrating that I basically put down the game. And, uh, it, it, you know, I, I was sort of in a place where uh, my girlfriend got a job uh, working in the TV industry and and was working all these really long hours. So suddenly, you know, I, I found you know, myself having a lot more free time than I had previously. And uh, I, I had been using video games to kind of fill up some of that time uh, outside of some of my other uh, responsibilities and thing, hobbies and things I get up to. And uh, I wanted to play something else. And uh, weirdly enough, my thought uh, at the time was, uh, well, I'm so frustrated by the story of this game and how it sort of felt like it robbed me me Of agency. Why don't I just do something with no story? That's going to be all technical. That's going to literally just be you know you know get, put in an input and get in an output with nothing else to think about. And and in my mind at the time that was Dark Souls. So I fired up Dark Souls one again and. Uh, uh, Eventually figured out that you're not supposed to try and fight the the uh, uh, asylum demon with the broken straight sword or whatever weapon it is that you have when you first run out of your cell. <laughs> um, and then shortly thereafter, you know, made my way to Firelink, et cetera, et cetera. But then uh, it occurred to me as uh, well, uh, you know, if this is just a game where where I'm going to be looking at uh it, you know optimizing this run i I guess i'll look online and that's when i first started discovering oh my goodness there actually is a story here there actually is meaning to all this it's not literally just you know press a and and get a result
0: um which was kind of a revelation for me what um what like you said you were playing fallout at the time like are you a pretty big general video game player like do you play a lot of rpgs and things um i play rpgs because i'm kind of bad at video games
1: um I generally find that because of the way RPGs are are built, um, it's easy to kind of brute force your way past things. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I I was able to, you know, finish Skyrim and a few other games like that. One, because they're not ultra challenging, but two, because, you know, in an RPG, you can sort of grind your way past things, or you can just sort of like throw yourself at a brick wall until eventually the brick wall gives away. Um, I find that that, that more so than games that require a, a great deal of technical skill. RPGs tend to 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 allow for more of that, which uh, you know, uh, obviously, Dark Souls has a much more, you know, mechanical component than a lot of RPGs. But there's there's still an element of that there. Um, I'm I I should note that I'm really bad at Dark Souls. Um, If you saw a video (laughs) of me playing, I think you would assume that I was wearing oven mitts, or perhaps like there's like a wild animal loose in the room, and I was trying to fend it off while also play the game at the same time. Like I'm
0: pretty twitchy. Like, is it just the, the the controls, or um, or is it just like the response time, or like, what do you think that makes you bad at Dark Souls? If you don't mind me asking,
1: um, I, I think that just uh, a lack of hand-eye to coordination and uh, uh a tendency to panic. Um, I can't play first-person shooters because the moment I get shot from a direction that I don't know where it's coming from, I will literally spin around like a top, trying to figure <laughs> out where I got shot from, <laughs> and the camera will shoot up to the ceiling, and like I, I'm that guy. Gotcha. Uh, so. It reminds eventually, me of that
0: uh, that bit on The Office where uh, Jim is playing uh, Call of Duty with his friends, and like when he moves to like the new office or whatever, and he's just literally throwing <laughs> yeah, grenades yeah. in the corner, blowing himself up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that's me. I, I felt a lot of sympathy
1: for Jim in that scenario, but yeah, I, I mean, you eventually learn to compensate for uh, that in a lot of ways, and especially during that first run through Dark Souls, I, I basically just learned the, the the basic lesson, you know, turtle up, you know wait for your opening, and then take your opening. And, you know, that didn't require a lot of movement. I, you know, didn't require me to learn how to sort of, like, circle strafe or any shit like that. Sorry, can I swear on this?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Oh, okay, cool. So it didn't, didn't require me to learn how to backstab or parry or do anything that seemed like it would be difficult. It was literally just keep your shield up the moment it looks like you can get a hit in, get a hit in. And that allowed me to sort of brute force my way through most of the early game.
0: Okay. What, um... Did did you have like, or do you still have difficulties with the controls? Like, because it's Dark Souls coming from like most RPGs or action games is such a dramatic shift in the way that you have to worry about controls and your animation priority and things like that. Did you have some difficulty mm-hmm. with that?
1: Um, I recently finished it again, and I, I feel a lot smoother this time. Um, the the other thing is that I got so obsessed with Dark Souls during that first playthrough that I went and played like this was last year that the, all this happened. Um. I went and I played literally all of Soulsborne um, afterwards uh, in about six months. <laughs> so I, I OD'd hard on, That's on too Dark many Souls. souls. You know?
0: <laughs> That's too that many souls.
1: An awful lot of souls um, to the point where I think it kind of rewired some of my brain a little bit. Um, I, I think it came up on Bonfireside chat once. I don't know, remember if it was Gary or, or Cole who said it, but something about sort of the way that, that Dark Souls makes other video games seem like bullshit. Mm-hmm. um that they're playing dark souls other games seem less satisfying um and i sort of feel that now like i'm trying to get into mass effect andromeda right now and i i think as much as i'm sort of enjoying it uh there's the part of my brain that's like eh, dark souls hmm, yeah that, that feels more to that now
0: got that soulsitis disease is what i call that
1: <clears throat> yeah no, it's, no, that's uh, uh,
0: it's it's pretty vicious like it it takes a little bit of distance from dark souls before you can finally start like playing other video games on a, on a normal basis again. Um, and usually it takes like something completely different from dark souls to, to get you away from it. And then you can start playing normal video games again. <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. Like those games just like change the way that you think or can like, all you want to do when you're playing them is play them more. So
1: Yeah, no, that, and that was very much the experience for me. Although I, I think the thing that I was chasing, um, and that, to one degree or another, I've never really found again for, from Dark Souls 1, is um, I, I started getting so involved with the lore and the idea of the indirect storytelling of it. Um, I, I think video games in general are kind of bad at telling stories. Um, I, I think they're either too simple or they are um, they have... Uh, You know, sort of delusions of grandeur like Metal Gear Solid, where I think that, you know, uh, the narrative is a complete mess, but because they throw a lot of text at you, it seems like they have a complicated story, but the story itself doesn't make any sense from a narrative or thematic standpoint, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas Dark Souls is perfect like uh, there's so much about that story that you know obviously is untold and that's kind of what makes it perfect like you know reading through you know pages and pages and pages of threads of of sort of fan theory and 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 stuff like that and trying to parse what's actually canon and then you know going ahead and reading you know actual books that have now been published on the topic like you died um and you know when i was playing bloodborne i kind of got the same feeling just because the pale blood hunt is out there to sort of help you assemble that as well but the idea that there could be such a um a depth of history uh built into that game without it ever explicitly telling it any of you so that you could play through it and never know any of it was fascinating to me and still fascinating to me in a lot of ways
0: what um was it was it weird playing these games with this late in this in the lifestyle in the lifespan Uh, because like at this point i feel that dark souls 1 has been mined for just about every single possible Mm -hmm. drip of story or weird mechanic stuff that that it's we're going to get out of that game um was it did you refer to a lot of those texts and a lot of the wikis and stuff as you were playing through the first time or like did you wait for your second playthrough or how did you approach all of that extra media that's around the game
1: um I tried to avoid watching um anything that I thought would be spoiler heavy during Mm -hmm. that first run through um but at the same time because it's quite possible that you would never even encounter some of the stuff I wanted to try and get a complete experience especially once I got to a point where I felt like okay, I'm not just struggling to survive here. I can actually sort of, you know, uh, let my hair down a little bit and try and and run around instead of just trying to figure out what the most efficacious way to get from me to the boss is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was there was a lot of me sort of checking wikis and the moment they started to get a little spoilery i would try and back away from them but you know i i fully admit that there was a lot of me trying to figure out uh uh you know is is there something here that it will be interesting and that i will miss because you know you see even in sort of the most non-spoilery wiki articles on weapons or you know armor or spells or whatever you you do get uh some references to story stuff and because you know one of the strengths of dark souls is that the naming of things is so intriguing you know i want to know oh ash lake that sounds cool how, how do i get to ash lake and so it, it's kind of a, a little bit of a balancing act of trying to figure out how to find that stuff and do that stuff properly so you don't miss out on any game while at the same time not making it so that you know every cool surprise before you actually get to it
0: yeah i really like the um the the feeling that I get when I go into a new souls souls area and you know, you get the white text on the screen and the door noise. Um, yeah. Like that's, that's a really good feeling. And um, I know most people wouldn't consider area name spoilers. And I don't think in, a, in on a general basis that you should really consider it just like an area name spoilers, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to read that stuff unless I know about it already. Like, unless I've already been in the area, um, like I want to see that the first time in the game.
1: Hey, let me ask you a, a lore-related question, and, and forgive me if you've you've discussed this elsewhere, like sure. on another podcast. Um, this is something that uh, I think is one of the great unanswered questions of Dark Souls, and it's sort of the thing that I bring up when I get to talk to other Dark Souls nerds, um, okay. as because I think everybody has uh, given it some thought probably at some point or at the very least has an idea. How long do you think you're in the undead asylum before Oscar throws throws a cadaver into your cell and lets you out?
0: hmm um I have literally never thought or heard anybody talk about this, so this is an interesting question um so I, I'm trying I... to remember the stuff that I'm trying to remember the text that builds up like that you are in this insane asylum that are the you're in this undead asylum because you've been put mm-hmm. there because you have the curse so i would i would assume a pretty lengthy amount of time because by the time that you by the time oscar like quote unquote rescues you um you were you were pretty desiccated right like you're not you're not in a great form of your body like you you look like a hamburger sausage so i would assume a long time i don't know if they're what the text supports or doesn't support there
1: there's not a whole lot in the text to support it um and the reason why i think it's one of the most interesting sort of lore questions surrounding dark souls is one it sort of represents dark souls not giving you information which i think is one of the most cool things about dark souls doesn't lay it all out for you no you know, exposition dump at any point in the game where it says this then that then this then that and that's how the story is You know, it, it's left to you to piece it together but this unanswered question to me is sort of like the okay so there's this asylum where we send the undead because they're a curse upon the land and we want to get them away from all of our not undead people um, but in the undead asylum one it's almost empty and two it doesn't seem like there's any way to get to the undead asylum except by giant crow so <laughs> and <clears throat> Yeah. So how did you get there in the first place? Um, like you said, it seems obvious that you've been there for a long time, but you're unhollowed, which to me always sort of made uh, sense as like, oh, well, I'm the chosen one. I'm the person who can sit here in the cell, you know, forever playing tic-tac-toe on the wall or, or whatever it is, uh, you know, waiting for uh, Oscar to come rescue me and not hollow and literally the first thing you see when you run out of the cell is somebody who is you know in in some advanced state of hollowing where they're just sort of holding their head in their hands or like banging up against a cell door or whatever Uh, i i find that just such a perfect encapsulation of what dark souls doesn't tell you but that's what sort of sparks your your fascination with being inside of dark souls you know that desire to want more and it's sort of keeping the really relevant information just out of reach, but giving you just enough that you can sort of fill in the gaps on your own and then, you know, find stuff to support that later on, or, you know, I guess, you know, to also disprove it. Like that's a, that's a fascinating way to interact with the story in a video game. And it kind of puts uh, what I was saying earlier, where I think video games on the whole kind of generally as a rule have bad writing, kind of, you know, pushes that to the side because it it doesn't tell you any more, any less than you, quote-unquote need to know the story's there you know and it's up to you to sort of interpret it um of course now we have literally interpreted uh dark souls within an inch of its life so you know
0: <laughs> it's an interesting question though because it's not something that i've i've really seen explored in any of the lore videos that come out um not that i'm like a lore expert or anything in fact i'll, I'll probably message my buddy sean after this recording and just ask him and see if he because he's the lore hunter so he knows all that stuff uh, see if he's yeah. encountered any writing about it because it's a it's a fascinating question i Never even thought about it. Yeah. How, no, did, um, it's, how did your well, how did you progress through the game? Like, did you did you find it fairly easy to get from like once you kind of had your your sea legs, so to speak? Did you go through the game pretty quickly after that?
1: Um, I, you know,
0: um, one of the things that helped me get through it the
1: first time is that I am a shameless grinder. Um, and once I found out about the exploit in Dark Root Garden, um, I'm not ashamed to admit that I spent probably like an hour and a half just doing that same little run to get 6,000 souls over and over and over. Oh, where well,
0: you kind of hide on the, in the corner and let them run
1: over you and suddenly so they, they kill themselves? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I once I figured that out, I basically used that to, to level my character to a point where it didn't matter how much I screwed up. I, I could still get in like quite a bit of damage off a, off a single poke. And that carried me through a large you know, part of the game. I mean, obviously it it doesn't matter, you know, how, how good your stats are when you hit Ornstein and Smo. you have to have a, a certain amount of, of technical acumen or you're just not going to beat them. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my first real obstacle as I think it is for a lot of people. And I I've heard stories of people quitting when they hit Ornstein and Smo. although I've never spoken to anybody who said, yeah, I got to those two guys and I quit. Um, so, you know, uh, that was the the first real, uh, major obstacle and then after that I kind of I wouldn't say I cruised through the rest of the game but uh, once you get through the painted world as well there's a really good grind spot in there I don't know if you know about that one with phalanx mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so I, I ground that quite a bit as well and basically got my character to a point where it didn't matter how bad I was at playing I could withstand like quite a few hits and I could dish out quite a bit of damage and that carried me through four kings and you know Isolith and and whatever else and up to Gwyn. um and I didn't feel like I was robbing myself of the experience because at that time, by that time, um, the experience wasn't about sort of achieving technical mastery. It was more about exploring the world and being totally fascinated by this big, empty world that you get to inhabit.
0: So you weren't you weren't so much intrigued by the difficulty as you were so much or so much as the like the, the video game to combat technical stuff of it as you were from the exploration and the lore standpoint.
1: Yeah, precisely. I mean, it, it's I, I suppose a little bit ironic that I came to the game with sort of this expectation of like, no, this is going to be a technical experience where I don't have to worry about bad storytelling, like bugging me and ruining my time. And then suddenly it was like, no, I don't care about the technical stuff at all. All I want to think about is why is this here? Why is this happening? And sort of, you know, being able to to eventually when I finished it, then dive into all of Vati's stuff. I should also note that, um, It was probably about a third of the way through the game that I discovered Bonfireside Chat and then sort of like, you know, being able to listen to that and always keep far enough behind where I was in the game that it was never spoilery. And I think Gary and Cole were very good about signposting spoilers. So that never got to a point where I felt like it was taking away from my experience. If anything, it was helping to enhance because it was listening to people who would have, you know, have a similar experience, but who also were diving way
0: deeper on a lot of things than I had. So that was very pleasant. How did the how did that approach to the games that um, kind of grinding, leveling up to a point where you can kind of you don't have to worry so much about the difficulty that you can kind of just treat the world as something to be explored and learn about? How did that carry you through each each of the other games? Did that, was uh, that not uh, well, not well. OK, <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: here's the problem with uh, trying to do that. in Dark Souls 2, you can't grind Dark Souls 2 um, at all. And, uh, so, um, of the, the souls board games, dark souls Two, scholar, the first sin took me the longest to finish. Uh, and the reason for that is because as previously noted, I am not good at playing dark souls. Um, and so, uh, all the strategies that I had sort of taken up as like, all right, well to get past my, my technical failings, I'll give myself the handicap of grinding my character up. You can't really do because you know, enemies just disappear after a while and the only way to get them back is bonfire aestheticing and those are a rare enough item that you can't effectively you know spend an hour doing that over and over and over and there are very few good spots where there's a density of enemies that's easy to clear out in a hurry i mean if there is one in dark souls 2 then you know please tell me about it i want to play that game again someday and i don't (laughs) want to spend like three months or whatever insane amount of time it took me to finish all of the content uh was um yeah, so uh, Dark Souls 2 is very difficult, but eventually I made my way through it. Um, it might have also been build problems, but there are areas in that game that I literally shudder when I think about having to try and get through them again. But um, I, I know this is sort of a common uh, topic of conversation for you on this podcast. Uh, I really like Dark Souls 2, like quite a bit in the grand scheme of, of sort of Dark Souls. I think that it has a lot of thematic uh, richness and depth, and that's kind of what kept me going even when I was incredibly frustrated that uh, I couldn't get past a certain area. Like continuously getting killed in that weird uh, Mario Kart fire lava castle um, before I could even <laughs> get to the boss fog, right? It was, it was
0: <laughs> just awful. <laughs> it's pretty miserable, that's for sure. Um what 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 makes you like Dark Souls Two so much? Because most people that I talk to, the, the issue is kind of um, either they they don't particularly care for the story or they really really dislike the mechanics. Um, so what 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 about Dark Souls Two fascinates you? Um,
1: I think that it's a brighter world than Dark Souls One. Dark Souls One is shabby. Um, everywhere you go feels like it's touched by decay or rot. Um, big empty world and sort of just you almost alone inhabiting it and surrounded on all sides by by their you know nothing that wants good things for you whereas dark souls 2 like there's a lot of areas that i think are kind of like bright and colorful and nice so it was a nice change of color palette and i thought okay so the franchise isn't a one-trick pony there's other stuff in here um i hadn't played demons at this point so uh, i think there's some correlations you could probably draw there but um similarly uh i also thought that um the story lays out a lot in the opening cinematic, um, the idea that you've come to Laic, uh with um, this sort of this idea in mind. I can cure the curse and, and then I can go back and be with my family. Uh, and, you know, there's the implication that you had a, maybe a wife and a child or, you know, there there's some – Something that's driving you to try and do this so that you can return to a life you had. And, you know, the idea that that's going to slip away from you. It tells you right there at the beginning, you'll find yourself at the gates and you won't even remember why. And I think that that's a theme that gets reiterated throughout the course of the story. You know, the idea of doing a thing, um, there's a want that's driving you towards literally the throne of want and that's driven, you know, sort of uh, the king before you, um, I don't remember what his name is, Vendrick, Mm -hmm. and, you know, is driving Nishandra and driving all of sort of these characters, um, and all of them have sort of lost whatever their initial motivation was, and then it just sort of becomes this this obsession, and that's kind of, you know, same with the Scholar of the First Sin uh, themselves, so there's a lot to that, and I think that the game does a really nice job of reiterating that theme and building that theme into a lot of what you do within the game. Um, It's not perfect. There's a lot of problems with the way it tells that story. But by the time you get through the DLC, I think it has really shored up, you know, sort of all of the all of the themes, all of the ideas and and sort of makes a case for itself as being sort of this this story, which, while not as good as probably uh, Dark Souls or Bloodborne is still kind of an outstanding um, story from a thematic standpoint on its own.
0: What um did uh, you may have mentioned this and I'm forgive me if I if I just missed it mm-hmm. in the conversation. Uh, did you play the Scholar of the First Sin version for your first yeah. time? Okay. Yeah. So I'm yeah. curious uh like did you cuz you keep you referred to them as like the DLC areas. Did you come on those naturally or did you have to look up where to get those? Because when they uh, came out for the vanilla version, like you would start the game up and the key would literally appear in your inventory and like everyone kind of just knew to go to those weird statues and do the thing. Were you did that just kind of happen for you? And like, did you get just like, Oh, I wonder what this is. And they get magically teleported somewhere. Or did you have to like, look it up for someone and then to be like, Oh, okay. There's this area over here that I need to go do this thing. So I can go see.
1: Um, I think there's actually a wall that keeps you from getting into those areas before a certain point within the game. I might be misremembering it, but I seem to recall after you beat, um, Oh, excuse me. Um, the old King in the big pool of lava, whatever that guy's name is. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the, you run down a set of stairs and there's a fountain there that takes you to uh, uh, one of the DLCs. And I seem to recall that you can like get teleported, but you can't actually open the door that takes you into that area proper. I might be totally misremembering this, but uh, it wasn't till actually I had gotten to almost the end of the game – that uh, I was like, I don't think I've been to the DLC, so I actually looked up how to, how to get to them and then did all three of them before going and, and, and killing the uh, Nashandra and the Scholar of the First Sin. So nice. Those, those DLCs are incredible. They're so much fun. They're amongst my favorite things about Dark Souls, um, or Born as a whole. Um, the, they're frustrating, but at the same time, they're very rewarding. Um, they have a lot of what I really love about the original Dark Souls, which is the idea of these recursive areas, where things, you know, you keep coming back to the same point, but it's now opened up to you in a different way. Uh, You know, that, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that's really lacking in vanilla Dark Souls 2, that the DLC kind of figured, all right, this is this is what's missing, so we should put this back in. And, and they did a good job.
0: It's amazing that they turned around the kind of content that they did with the struggles in the development of Dark Souls 2 and having to scrap, you know, a majority of that game and then rebuild it from scratch. And then... Like release the game and the game is fine, although it got you know shat on by most of the the Dark Souls fans out there. Um, and then mm-hmm. like, to turn around and release three huge <laughs> pieces of content, like one after the other, was just I was kind was kind of blown away by the the support of that game.
1: Yeah, it, it, one it of was... the advantages. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say one of the advantages of coming to it late is that I think um a lot of video game fans have very um extreme opinions. Like something is either the best thing ever or, ever or the absolute worst crime in the history of the medium. And so uh, coming to things a little bit later, it means that a lot of that has died down and you can find a bit more measured responses. Like some people are still holding on to that like hardline Dark Souls 2 is, is you know, a crime against the franchise. But a lot of people, I think, were able to sort of come, you know, say things like, well, you know, it's not perfect, but here are some redeeming things about it. That's That's kind of nice.
0: Well, especially in the in the wake of a backlash against Dark Souls three and what they've done over there, uh, like people st- have started looking at Dark Souls two as the the sequel they didn't know that they wanted. I, I really, I strongly believe that when the Dark Souls two was announced, most people thought it would be like more Dark Souls, and it was, but it didn't connect back to any of those those characters or stories that people. You know, the only references are some some vague Lord Soul bullshit, and that's really about it. And um, yeah, but now like after Dark Souls three is literally like putting entire characters <laughs> from the first game into <laughs> the third game, people are yeah. thinking like, oh, wait, no, I actually didn't want Dark Souls one dash two. I wanted just Dark Souls two. So <laughs> yeah. it's it's interesting I, that like how those those opinions change over an extended amount of time, because I'm very guilty of it. Like the first time I play a Souls thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is the best thing ever. And then it's only with some reflection and with some thought that I kind of start finding what would I actually think about something?
1: Where would you rank Dark Souls two in the franchise? Do you like it? Do you like it more than three?
0: Um, man, I I, I try to stay away from rankings because my my, okay. my mind my mind changes on that on that stuff so much. Uh, it's like if we I, t- I take the Gary Butterfield approach. All of my children are equal except Dark Souls one, who is the best. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but like I enjoy playing Dark Souls two a whole lot, and I I don't particularly like some of the core mechanical stuff about it so i I don't like Mm -hmm. the way that the weapons are animated which i've talked about extensively on the show i don't like a lot of the level design i don't like a lot of the texture work and things like it's just very low quality and those are the kind of things that will bug me on you know replays so if i'm going through dark souls 2 i'm like oh yeah this is the um i never remember this area the um the green and brown area uh, that sucks where uh, the sunlight alternates in Dark Souls too. I cannot think of it for my life. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Do, does not matter. But yeah, like that yeah. area. Like oh, I'm here with all of the shitty rocks and green, weird green gas stuff that like I, I'm just going to run through so I can get to Earth and Peak. I think it is. um Yes, yes. So I, I, I like it, and I, I especially like a lot of the story, like the concept of. Um, uh, the scholar himself as like somebody mm-hmm. actively working for change in the cycle. Number one, like somebody that recognizes it's a cycle and that not all cycles are great. Like, I, I love that concept of this, of this, mm-hmm. this, this, force of change in the world and um his relationship to king vindrick and how you know the all of the stuff with manis and his quote-unquote daughters and how all those worked out in the various kingdoms and that vindrick actually did figure out how to break halloween but it like it cost him everything so that's Mm -hmm. just like it's it's really fascinating but when i actually want to sit down and play a souls game it's usually like dark souls one or bloodborne so those are the two that I, i want to play the most
1: mm-hmm i uh i gotta say um i i don't want to be a party to dark souls 3 backlash but it is my least favorite um like if i was ranking the games um you know bloodborne and demon souls would kind of be neck and neck although I, I i love bloodborne so much but there's a few things about it that bug me whereas demons uh, i find is almost like this perfect distillation of some of the things that i genuinely do really love about the franchise but dark souls 3 I, I i just feel disappointed that the lore is such a such a you know question mark like they just got the ratio of of what makes dark souls lore tick for me kind of off like it leaves a lot of things open-ended but then doesn't give you any signposts to figure out you know sort of what the answers might be it's just sort of a big shrug in a lot of ways and i find that frustrating about it um from a mechanical standpoint i don't find it to be any better or worse than any of the other games I, i i i just um I, I wish it was more, it felt more like Dark Souls to me. It, it's the least <laughs> Souls-feeling game of all the games. It almost, I mean, not to, to 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 you know, throw it under the bus or anything, but there is almost the part of me that, like, man, this feels more Souls-like than any other game in, in the Dark Souls franchise proper. Like, well, like, people who have absorbed
0: lessons of Dark Souls without getting the essence of it. Exactly. And I'm, I, I actually really like the way that Dark Souls 3 plays. Um, like, I think the combat mm-hmm. is, is super fluid and fun. I I made the mistake of playing a lot of Bloodborne right up to up to the release of Dark Souls Three, and I don't think that the weapons and the move sets in Dark Souls Three is are anywhere near as good as like the, the the weapons that they've done in Bloodborne. And I don't think I don't think any game has weapons like like Bloodborne does, just like straight out. Not even you know, don't even limit myself to the Souls games. Like it's Bloodborne, and, and their mm. weapon move sets are just fantastic and so much fun um but overall like just moving through the world I really like Dark Souls 3. It falls apart for me um that they they gated progress in weird ways. I don't like that. Like I like mm-hmm. I love that you can kind of just do anything in Dark Souls 1 and 2, like you can kind of go different places before you start getting gated off. Um yeah. and like Dark Souls 3 has a clear progression that you have to go through in order to see things. So it makes for much more of a bland experience replaying because you're just going to be doing the same thing that you did most occasions. Um and then, like some of the some of the lore stuff, like I, I, the, the the big example of this is always going to be Andre for me. Like, why mm-hmm. why is he there? Like, what why put that dude there if you're literally not going to do anything to for him? Like, that's why
1: it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's frustrating. Um, the other thing that I find mildly frustrating about almost every game in in the franchise, to be perfectly honest, um, is I hate hubs, um in one of the wonderful things about dark souls that firelink is only it's barely a hub right like it's a hub in that it literally functions as one in that it attaches to so many different areas in the game but you don't need to go back there to like interact with the person who levels you Yeah. and i find that incredibly frustrating um about dark souls 3 like coming back to you know quote unquote firelink shrine over and over to interact with the same npcs and like i i don't find that comforting um Uh, In fact, I find it kind of I wouldn't go so far as to say boring, but one of the things that I genuinely love about Dark Souls is like you're you're just kind of wandering through this place and you have no place to call home. And so the idea of having like, oh, I've got this base where I can plot and, you know, shore up my reserves and get all my stuff together and then get leveled up and then head back out into the world. And if I'm throwing myself against something, I can go back to my base to figure out what my next move is going to be. I find that less compelling than the idea of just being sort of adrift in a world that you have to, you know, sort of forge your way through. Um, the, the only game in the franchise that I think does a really amazing job of, of creating a hub that I actually felt something towards was, was Bloodborne. And that's because I think the Hunter's dream is such an incredible idea. Uh, the idea of like, you're, you're not physically there, uh, arguably, you know, you're visiting it in, in a dream, which is mm-hmm. one of the coolest themes in that game. Like the, the story in Bloodborne is, is mind blowing to me. I, I love it to death. And, and like you said, you know, even being kind of not good at, at, at playing, action rpgs and specifically souls i felt like i was having a lot of fun from a mechanical standpoint so yeah i bloodborne gets huge thumbs up from me so no no controversial opinions (laughs) there as it as it does for most souls
0: fans
1: (laughs) yeah i think so if if there's one thing about it that i could change it would be nice if there was a little more variety in build but at the same time i understand part of what makes it so fluid and you know nice to control is the fact that they limited that you know mm-hmm. there's there's no clunkiness in it because it's not even possible to make a character that, you know, controls clunky. Everybody controls the same and your strategy is kind of always going to be a variation on the same like, you know, play aggressive, hit hard, hit fast and and everything else is just sort of gradients of that. You know, it'd be nice if there was more variety, but I cannot imagine, you know, that it would improve the game uh to to sort of make it, oh well, you can play a tank. Like that doesn't seem very bloodborn to me and would kind of spoil the game. So, I I guess I it would be if they, awesome um, if you
0: could have... I think if they um, gave you more <clears throat> of a weapon variety at the beginning of the game, um, that, that, mm-hmm. that that would serve that purpose more. Like, if I could get um, specifically Blood Tinge and Arcane weapons way, way earlier than you can now, um, and I've said this before, like, my idea is always, like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, this save file has beat the game once. Now you can start with any weapon in the game. Like, choose one. <coughs> Like, that would make... That would be dope. Yeah, because, like, I've beaten the game, um, you know, and the Chalice Dungeons do this to an extent with the DLC weapons. Like, um, once you hit, once you find one of the DLC weapons and then you go to a, a shop in the, in the Chalice Dungeons, like, you can just buy all of the variants there. You don't have to find them like you do the normal weapons, which is the way to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So that you can get that build variety, so that you can get that, you know... That whirly gig that actually scales from arcane damage because of the gems that you've put in it, like that kind of thing, and that that makes it a lot more fun. But again, like you, it's it's much more of a Japanese RPG than it is a Western RPG, and that like they, they hide all that stuff behind like layers of bullshit that I just don't want to go through most times. <laughs> when I did, when <laughs> I, I did my never Blood played dungeon a dungeon. Run. Yeah. Oh, really? You're not you're not into the chalice dungeons. I. Um, I think I, I let, uh,
1: bonfire sad chat poison me against them to a point where (laughs) I was like, well, that sounds stupid. Uh, a a quick, uh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off on your story. Please, please go. Oh
0: no, that, that was pretty much it. Like, um, like just doing that blood tinge build, like it was so hard to get there. Like all of your souls are going to, um, bone ash and bullets and and, you can barely afford to level up and to buy vials and to get the bullets and to get the bone ash. And like, it's just a, it's a whole lot of layers of bullshit. So you didn't yeah, so you have never even tried
1: the chalice dungeon. I think I went into the first one and mm-hmm. I ran around a little bit and I was like is there is there is there a boss in here that I'm supposed to fight? I'm I'm not sure. And then I came back out again. I was like I, I, I don't know. Um I guess I'll just keep progressing through the story and then by the time I had beaten like the orphan of kos You know, which is an arduous experience, uh, to say the least. I think I I played for eight sustained hours uh, to (laughs) to finally get through them, (laughs) which is not the most time I have ever spent on a boss on Dark Souls, uh, terrifyingly enough. But um, I I lost count of literally the number of attempts. Um, But... uh, uh, I think the idea of going down into the dungeons and sort of playing those from the beginning had lost any of its appeal to me, and I just kind of wanted to see the story through to the end. That said, you know, I I literally bought a PS4 so that I could play Bloodborne, so it's going to get some more. I'm going to go through it again, and maybe this will be the time that I I genuinely do make a, a proper run at the Chalice Dungeons.
0: Well, I can say that um, if you've got any buddies that also want to experience that with you or already have done it, um, like that's probably the best way to play it where you're on the mic with somebody and kind of bullshitting and playing them at the same time because they're mm-hmm. fun and they're good. The story chalices are very, very boring. Like, it, I don't think that they get super interesting. There, Um Well, there's some stuff in the Loran chalices, and I actually like the Iz chalices a little bit. Uh, Loran is kind of like this weird, like, dusty world with werewolves, and Iz is, has all this weird blue-green stuff with all of the aliens and, you know, weirdos that you see in the main game. But um most of the <clears throat> don't really have any interesting features. It's not until you start creating, like, the root chalices, or am I saying that right? The root mm-hmm. chalices? Whichever ones are the custom ones um, that you can just kind of build on the fly, like that's when you get some weird stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's odd. Um, the Bloodborne board game uses the Chalice Dungeons as its setting, sort of in a in a meta sense.
0: Like the idea is uh, have you played that game? I have not. I and I've really I, I meant to pre order it and this totally forgot, and then it kind of snuck by me. So I haven't I haven't even seen it, which is like me being a bad souls person. I need to go pick it up. I, I really wanted it for just for the art, like the cards and everything looked beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, and it, it's mechanically, it plays really nice. You know, in in the tradition of Bloodborne, it's it's a very fun game from a mechanical standpoint. It's easy to teach people, and it also is a useful means of me sort of backdooring people's interest in Bloodborne because they'll see something on a card and they'll be like, "Oh, Father Germain, that guy sounds cool." And I'll be like, "Oh, well, let me tell you," you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, the, the, the weird thing about the game is that if you read the instructions it's like, all right, you're in a chalice dungeon with some other hunters. And that's why you're encountering all these characters from main game, you know, sort of in this dungeon, they've, they've come down here and you have to defeat them to, you know, accomplish this goal within the dungeon and then escape. But be wary because much like, you know, regular, uh, or video game Bloodborne, you will die a bunch of times and have to go back to the hunter's dream to sort of, you know, plot your next, uh, run up against whatever monster you're fighting is. It's fun. It's good. And it's yeah, a good it way to play similar. bloodborne stuff with people who are not into actually playing bloodborne
0: yeah, I need to I'm, I might just go on Amazon after we get get out of this one call and just order it because it's been it's been on the back of my mind and for some reason I just never think about it. I got my uh did you pre-order the or did you kickstart the Dark Souls board board game that's coming out I did not um mm-hmm. I have kind of bad
1: experiences with um miniature based um like massive board games mm hmm um, in that I have a bad attention span about some things. And so sometimes if it looks like a game's going to be complicated and like Arkham Horror is hard for me to play. For example, if you've ever played that game, because I can't keep all the rules straight in my head. So I kind of wanted it to come out and, you know, watch some videos of people playing it to see if it was going to be my, my, my Stilo. So I'll be very interested when that game comes out to hear what you and other folks have to say about it
0: yeah um i'm not much of a board gamer in general uh like i just i never played a lot of them growing up and i've only only played a couple since then and um i don't know i really just bought it for the miniatures more than anything <laughs> like i was like i have to yeah. have all these tiny dark soul statues like it's so exciting uh they just that they is just sent an image actually, of uh king jeremiah out that i'm really oh, excited wow. about in the full you know <clears throat> huge you know custard head statue it's gonna be so good Hey,
1: can we can we talk about King Jeremiah for a second? Or actually talk about the old monk for a second. Sure. Um yeah. When I played Demons, I got um NP or sorry, player or PC controlled uh old monks twice in a row uh on my first attempt to beat him. Like two times I got what was obviously an actual player uh fucking with me uh <laughs> while I was trying to beat him. One guy who literally wouldn't fight me who just ran around in circles and, like, yeah. kept away from me until finally, like, I, I, I think I got up close to him and I was so frustrated by that point that he just backstabbed me to death. But, you know, he he baited out uh, uh, frustration to the point where he could easily dispatch me, which I assume is was a masterful troll job. And the other time was clearly, uh, you know, a player character because afterwards I looked up and found out what sort of the, the PC-controlled old monk plays like and what their weapon set is and stuff like that. So... Um, I I guess that's kind of a rare experience now. In you know, I was playing it in 2016, summer of 2016, actually. So uh, from what I understand, most people are a little, uh, uh, uh generally just end up with the NPC controlled uh, old monk.
0: Hmm. I uh I spent some time like hanging out there when I did my last demons run just to just to try to get summoned for that fight because it's so much fun to mess with players but i, I wouldn't like just run around and like not like i want to fight like i'm gonna i want to have a good time and, and you know kind of screw with people so mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's fine. also the fact that that fight comes after the uh, man-eater Gargoyles, which to this might be the m- most time i spent Uh, trying to to beat any single boss in the entirety of Soulsborne, like more than the eight hours it took me on the orphan, more than, (laughs) you know, I think the probably seven hours it took me to fight Sir Alon, probably more than, you know, all these, you know... uh, just embarrassing amounts of attempts on everything. Like I, I remember just, you know, blazing through probably, you know, 19 hours of watch out for fireballs or something like that. Trying to beat the man eater gargoyles, <laughs> like to, to the point where, you know, if I close my eyes, I could hear, you know, Gary and Cole talking in my head. I, I have a friend who describes the experience of, um, having listened to so much Cypress Hill when he was in high school that every time he hears Cypress Hill, it's like having a friend come to visit him. And that's almost the point I got to with like watch out for fireballs and, and, uh, uh bonfire side chat while playing through the games like I, I i feel like you know it's gonna be weird if i ever meet those guys in person um because i will feel like i know them and they will not know who the hell i am so I, i'm not sure if other people have that experience with podcasts that they listen to religiously but uh it, it's an odd one
0: oh yeah absolutely like when i first podcasted with gary and cole like it was it was a really awkward thing because and it even now like i still listen to those dudes podcast even though i podcast with them on a regular basis like i still listen Mm -hmm. to watch out for fireballs and all that stuff so it's it's one of those things of like i've just man i've heard you talk a whole lot (laughs) i've heard you talk an incredible amount so (laughs) i just know a lot of things about you and it's all one way so this is weird like i had that experience when i met lobos uh last year like i met Mm -hmm. him for like a half a second and um he was super nice but it was really weird like and i know all you can do is just be a normal person about it and not just wig out but like it was really hard not to be like oh you're that guy that i watch on my tv like on a regular basis because you stream all the time like so every time i sit down (laughs) to eat like who's who's streaming on oh of course lobos is and it's usually something dark souls related so let's take a look at it so yeah, yeah meeting people meeting podcasters like that is is really really strange and awkward i think i think my my favorite thing about
1: lobos uh is that he did that run where he tried to clear out every enemy in the game in dark souls so Mm -hmm. it was just you know you uh or i guess uh, him going on his way to to you know uh a fight gwyn with you know no enemies or effectively no enemies like as i think he mentioned you know a couple times during that stream there's certain enemies that you simply cannot kill Mm -hmm. um there's no way to do it so uh that spoke so much to some of the themes that i love about dark souls the idea of big empty world you know nothing in there other than things that want to kill you and then if you take those away it's just you in big empty world with all this history that you have no access to or means of interacting with and that that's really poetic to me so i I know it was a challenge run but at the same time it, it spoke to a lot of the themes of the game in a way that i thought was was you know really affecting
0: have you uh have you played the latest zelda at all breath of the wild I played it very
1: briefly over at my buddy's house the other weekend, and uh it was it was really cool,
0: yeah I get the some of the um one of my friends is playing through it without specifically without talking to really any n p c s or like especially any quest givers or anything like that. he's just kind of wandering around and doing stuff and it gives me when i'm doing that in the game um like it gives me that same wander around lord experience of like wander around like you could tell that there's all this history and architecture that used to be here and like there's definitely stories that are and like, that the environment is trying to tell you um but that it, like literally someone's not just coming up and talking to you although unfortunately the game does actually talk to you quite a bit so if you do the story mm-hmm. stuff like that kind of takes away from it but i mean there's you can go for hours and hours and hours and just roam around and you know oh hey there's some enemies over there oh here this is interesting thing like it's it's when people say that it's like dark souls one um they usually are talking about like oh you know there's a claymore now like Link has a claymore but it's it's much more about like exploring that world and being like wow this is this is insanity like this is big and huge and just there's stuff everywhere Anyway, not to talk about Zelda too much. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) no. Uh, It's funny
1: because I was about to talk about another game altogether. Um, The the strategy that I have used kind of ineffectively to try and get a lot of my friends um, uh, who, you know, sort of have the the impression that Dark Souls is just hard and there's nothing else to it to play has been by saying it's like Shadow of the Colossus. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. the You, big empty world, some enemies... Lots of things that you can sort of see and sort of think about, but not a whole lot to actually tell you what happened. And that's kind of for you to fill in the blanks based on sort of these morsels that it gives to you, which is part of what makes, you know, Shadow of the Colossus one of the greatest games ever made. It's part of what makes Dark Souls one of the greatest games ever made. And if you want that experience of like, Melancholy that comes from wandering around big empty world that is you know seen better days than the, the, is there a better game than Dark Souls I don't know that there is
0: <laughs> maybe Shadow of the Colossus maybe maybe no probably not though because I can only get so <laughs> many replays on Shadow of the Colossus even with the fun toys that you get um but what is like having played all of these games in a six month period and consumed so much Souls content like where do, are you hungry for more like we we got obviously the DLC for Dark Souls three comes out next week. But um, like, what, what do you want to see these people do next? Like, are you, do you want more? Do you want, do you want Dark Souls 4? Do you want Bloodborne 2? Do you want something entirely new? Um, I would probably not want Bloodborne
1: 2 because I think Bloodborne is so perfect um, story-wise. Like the ending of that story, um, whichever ending you get to me is absolutely perfect. Um, That story is so fascinating to me, um, but part of what makes it fascinating is that it's a closed loop. Like it just, it, it hits the end of it and that's it. And I wouldn't want to see them reopen that. I don't need to revisit. I don't want to know what happened to any of these people. I don't want to know what, you know, who, who really was cost. Let's find out now. No interest in any of that. Like if they do do a bloodborne two, it would be okay to mechanically replicate it, but I would want it to be its own thing and not even in the same universe or have any references to the previous, uh, to the previous game. Dark souls four. Um, I think that perhaps getting away from dark souls would be good for, for Miyazaki. Um, cuz Dark Souls 3 as I as I mentioned earlier is kind of disappointing to me from a lore standpoint. Um I'm not super psyched about the DLC coming out although I will 100% you know play it. I've already paid for it. I'm I'm ready to go, you know, and take my my character one last time through that that world or some extension of that world. But I would kind of like to see them do something else with some of the same ideas. Like you know, people have brought up the idea of a science fiction souls and you know, that that they that, they they're, you could Thing with that idea or you know even sort of a modern day you know crime or mystery game with some of the same principles of you know uncovering information to figure out a larger story i think could could be interesting but um yeah i mean it's diminishing returns on going back to, to dark souls in a lot of ways and so you know even a, a a quote-unquote bad Dark Souls game. I don't even think there is such a thing as a bad Dark Souls game, but even a disappointing Dark Souls game like Dark Souls 3 was for me is still better than like 90% of the video games I've played or tried. So I guess we'll see. Um, like I mentioned, I'm playing Mass Effect Andromeda right now, which I think is going to be a good detox. So I'm going to play that for a good long while before I jump into the the Dark Souls 3 DLC.
0: Well, Alex, thank you very much for spending some time with me this morning. I appreciate it. I know you got up extra early on a Saturday morning for <laughs> to do this podcast, so thanks for, for doing that. But um, can you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Uh,
1: yeah. Um, I run a music blog and uh, related podcast. Uh, you can go check that out at die, com. We talk about industrial and related genres of music. Um, we review a lot of releases, and uh, as I mentioned, we record podcasts. The name of the podcast is We Have a Technical um we are approaching our 150th episode which uh will have some kind of spectacular attached to it but i haven't figured out what exactly that's going to be um so yeah that's that's where you can find us i die, and uh if you want to check us out on twitter uh which is basically my only uh social media presence uh related to that at this point it's at i d i e underscore y o u d i e jeremy thank you so much for having me this was so much fun it's it's rare that i get to talk to people about dark souls and especially to people who i think have had you know sort of the the full meal deal experience uh like yourself so this this was a real pleasure
0: Excellent. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it and thank you again for coming on. As always, I've been your host Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at J.G. Greer. You can find this podcast and all of the social media links that you could ever want at DontGiveUpSkeleton.com Take a look at the Instagram where I post um, 60 second previews so you can kind of get an idea of what the podcast is like. That's at Instagram.com slash skellies. And as always, remember Don't Give Up Skeleton Peace And that's all she wrote Oh, Jeremy, I'm sorry I cut you off a couple times there. I just, I got very excited about what we were talking about. Oh, dude, I wanted to get uh, a yeah, word in edgewise. Like, my, my, people have heard me talk for like 70 hours at this point. <laughs> like nobody cares about what I have to say. It's all about you, so don't do-